Tonight we're going to continue through the book of Proverbs, and my assignment is to speak on anger. And in the in the interest of full disclosure, you need to know that this has been a very angry week for me. And I say that, it's kind of ironic because I don't tend to see myself as someone who gets anger, angry easily, but as we'll see a little later, there's lots of forms of anger. And much of my anger this week has been unrighteous. And I know the devil would like to use that to uh, just discourage me and disqualify me, but the Lord, I think, wants to use that, the fact that it's been a hard week with anger, uh, to give me a good measure of humility. So you need to know that I'm preaching to myself here, brothers and sisters, and you get to listen in. So here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to divide my talk into three parts. First of all, some preliminary thoughts about anger. What are we talking about? And here I'm very uh, indebted to two of my counseling mentors, David Paulson and Ed Welch, who have both written wonderful books on anger. So we'll talk about what anger is and maybe try to dispel a few myths about anger. The second part, we will look at eight proverbs on anger, and then we'll end by kind of hot linking to the New Testament book of Proverbs, uh, the book of James, and talk about how we can seek the meekness of wisdom, which is the cure for unrighteous anger. So before we do, let's pray, <coughs> and then we'll talk a little bit about what anger is and, and uh, just some preliminary thoughts. Let's pray. Lord, in one of your Gospels, you said that when we have done all that we were supposed to do, we should say we are only unworthy servants. And I feel that unworthy servant tonight, Lord. But I thank you for the grace, the righteousness, the forgiveness that is available through your cross by faith. And I thank you, Lord, for your word, which is our authority, our impeccably reliable truth. So we pray that you would give us all ears to hear. As, we'll, as we're going to see, every one of us has some kind of issue with anger. But Lord, you have not left us to that. Your gospel not only forgives, but transforms. And we pray that you would do that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are we talking about when we talk about anger? <clears throat> Let's start with just a simple definition. A simple definition of anger is it is displeasure at a perceived wrong. It is probably the most moral of our emotions. Anger cries out, that's not right. It's very moral. We're making moral judgments. It also cries out, this is important. We don't tend to get angry about things we don't care about. So anger is a moral judgment about something we care about, about a perceived wrong. Second point is that anger is more than an emotion, and it is never neutral. In the world, we often hear anger's just an emotion. It's not right or wrong. It only depends on what you do with it. But that's simply not true. Anger is never something you just feel. 
It's never something that happens to you or just bubbles up inside of you. Anger is something you do and you do it with every part of your person. Your mind makes moral judgments. Your emotions add fuel to the fire. Your body starts to react. Your face might get red. Your voice gets louder. Your heart rate speeds up. Words come out of your mouth and you might even take physical action. So anger is something you're doing with every part of you. And anger is never neutral. It's always good <coughs> or bad, righteous or unrighteous. Or we could say sometimes it's a mixture. But it's always doing something with the living God. And it's always doing something with our neighbor. Remember I said anger is displeasure at a perceived wrong. But maybe there was no real wrong. You just thought there was. And maybe your anger is entirely inappropriate. Or maybe the anger is appropriate. There was a reason for it. But it was over the top. Out of proportion. Maybe your anger is merely selfish. Somebody rubbed you the wrong way and it's all about you. You. Now maybe your anger is appropriate and maybe it's proportionate. There is such a thing as righteous anger. And we just need to look at Jesus. Jesus got angry, very angry. Think about when he went into the temple and he knocked over the tables and he threw the buyers and the sellers out. He was angry because his father was being dishonored and people were being kept from true worship. Or think about the Sabbath when he wanted to heal a man with a crippled hand. And he looked out and he saw that the religious leaders were judging him because he was working on the Sabbath. And they were making principles more important than people. And it says he was angry. Or even the time when um, little children were trying to come up to Jesus and his disciples said, no, 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 no. Get away, get away. And it says Jesus was indignant. So Jesus was righteously angry, but notice this. He never seemed to get angry when it was about him. It was always about his father's honor and glory, and it was always about people being hurt or oppressed. Most of our anger, most of my anger, is about me, myself, and I. Third, anger comes <clears throat> in many forms and different intensities. And this is important because some of us mild-mannered Clark Kents who think we don't really have much of a problem with anger find out that that's not really true. We don't think we have a problem with anger because we don't usually lose it or fly off the handle or rage against the machine. But think about it. There's at least two kinds of anger. There's hot anger, which is what we usually think about. And then there's cold anger, where you're basically just freezing the person out. Hot anger comes in all kinds of forms. Irritability. Being irritable is kind of a low-level, uh, seething under the surface anger, that just waiting for something to provoke it. <coughs> Sarcasm. Complaining. You ever complain? That's a form of anger. Connor is saying yes. Connor, thank you for your honesty. Arguing, bitterness, yelling, swearing, name-calling, shaming, throwing things, physical abuse, all forms of hot anger. But then think about cold anger. 
Ignoring someone can be a form of anger. You're basically saying you are not even worthy of my noticing you. It can be a very, very cold form of anger. Withdrawing, shutting down, leaving the room is a form of anger. Pouting is a form of anger. Rolling your eyes, sighing, and other forms of contempt are signs of anger. Again, cold anger is basically freezing someone out. And although it doesn't have that hot intensity, it can be just as deadly. Now, probably I have hit all of you somewhere in that. But maybe there's a few people that still say, nope, nope, I don't have a problem with anger. Well, let me make one more point. We often sin by not being angry. We should be angry whenever God is demeaned or dishonored or disobeyed and whenever we see people being unjustly treated or oppressed or hurt in any way. We should be angry. Anger is, is energy to do something about something wrong. Years ago, many years ago, I was up in my office at home, I was, and, and the window was looked across the street, <clears throat> and I saw two people on the porch uh, across the street. One was a, an adult, he was large, stocky, and he had a mullet, I remember that. The other person was his mini-me, he was about a seven-year or eight-year-old version Stocky, same mullet. <clears throat> and as I looked out, I saw the father just backhand his son. And he just staggered back. And I just rose up. I stomped downstairs. Judy says, where are you going? I said, somebody just hit his son. She says, don't go over there. Don't go over there. You'll get beat up. Which I probably would have. I don't tell you that story to show you how righteously angry I am. But rather how rare that is when I am righteously angry. There is so much in the news. There is so much on our TV screens that should make us righteously angry and yet we become desensitized. So those, those are a few just preliminary thoughts about anger. Let's go to the Bible now and again as has been the case with uh, other preachers on Sunday night you're going to be flipping through the Bible. So we're going to look at eight Proverbs the first four are what I'm going to call and proverbs. A thought is stated, the word and, and then it's kind of amplified. And then the last four will be but proverbs. A thought is stated, the word but is inserted, and then there's a contrast. <coughs> so the first and proverb is Proverbs 14, 17. Proverbs 14, 17. It says... A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Now, I said this was an and proverb, but there's still a contrast here. There's a contrast between anger and wisdom. Anger here comes in two forms. Quick temper, just kind of sudden, explosive, and evil devices, kind of more settled, thinking, seething. Proverbs, as you know, is all about this contrast between <coughs> foolishness and wisdom. An angry man acts foolishly. Conversely, a wise man controls his temper. 
This proverb also may be pointing out a range of anger. Again, there's the sudden outburst, and then there's the evil devices, which may refer to a more settled bitterness of heart. But both are condemned in Proverbs. Second Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 32. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Brothers and sisters, I think all of us want to be mighty. We want to be able to take a city, to be able to be strong, be in control, hold our own, influence people and circumstances. And so, pretty early, we learn the art of persuasion. <coughs> if that doesn't work, we learn the art of manipulation. If that doesn't work, we learn the art of domination all trying to get what we want. And ironically, this often backfires. In our attempt to manipulate or dominate and get what we want, we often get angry and we torpedo the very thing we're trying to achieve. This proverb explains that there is a power, a might, that is greater than being a successful mover or shaker. It is the power to control your angry heart and words. Third and Proverbs, Proverbs 19, 11. Proverbs 19, 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is, is his glory to overlook an offense. Some of you are familiar with the book The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy, best book on conflict resolution I'm aware of. And in that book, Ken Sandy explains that our first option when we are offended is we could overlook the offense. Now, obviously, there are situations when you can't overlook an offense. It's too egregious, it's too serious, you're not just going to get over it. Or it's too repeated, too continuous, and you're not going to get over it. But most of the time, or at least much of the time, our first loving response is to cut someone some slack. Or as Tom Stark used to say, give the judgment of charity. Don't, don't judge them with the worst possible motives. Give them a charitable judgment. Now, I'm struck that this proverb says that to overlook an offense is not just okay, it's not just good. He says it's glorious. Why would he say that? It is his glory to overlook an offense. Well, we just sang about the glorious Christ, the King of glory, who did not get angry when he was offended. So when we are able to overlook an offense and give a charitable judgment, we are being a little bit like the glorious Christ. Fourth and Proverbs. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. 22, 24, and 25. <clears throat> the proverb... Writer says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, 
lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Here, we're being alerted about the company we keep. And it's a reminder that anger is both an inward thing, but it's also influenced by external things and people. Anger, selfish anger, is our default mode. We are easily offended. But we're also sometimes unrighteously discipled by people with anger issues. Maybe you grew up with a, a mom or a dad who just was angry a lot. Maybe in your house, anger was how things were settled. Um, maybe you learned it from co-workers or just the people you hang out with. Ungodly disciplers can be family members, co-workers, all kinds of people. And we inevitably pick up attitudes and behaviors from influential people in our lives. And sometimes we become tripped up by the habits we learn from others. And this, these two verses in Proverbs 22 remind me of Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, which says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of scoffers, nor, or, I'm sorry, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We need to be careful who's influencing up. Second type of proverb, the but proverbs. Thought is stated, the word but, <coughs> and then a contrast. This is the, the main form of the proverbs in this book. Proverbs 12, 18. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Again, what a poignant reminder about the power of our words. Two striking contrasts here. Rash words versus tongue of the wise. There's one contrast. Rash words are words we just have not carefully considered. They're hasty words. Jesus calls them careless words. And he says, you will give an account for every careless words. Every careless word. And so the writer of Proverbs is saying, think, think before you speak. I'm going to tell you a story that I've told before that I'm always deeply ashamed of uh, because it's an example of careless words in my own life. This was many, many decades ago. I hadn't even moved to Michigan yet. I was hired as a teacher's aide uh, to work with an eighth grade class. One of my responsibilities was uh, recess duty. And kids went outside, there were things to do, but a lot of times kids just kind of hung out and talked. And I was probably 20 or 21 years old, and <clears throat> by virtue of that, they thought I was cool. I wasn't, but I was the right age for cool anyway. And I was, I was standing with a group of people, some of them were, most of them were girls, and you know how you get kidding and joking and repartee, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, this one girl just said in a moment of kidding, Mr. Quinn, how come you're so stupid? And without thinking, 
I said, Clayton, how come you're so ugly? Now, what do you know about 13-year-old girls? Really concerned about the way they looked. I didn't mean it, but it didn't matter. I apologized profusely. But later on, I had to meet with this young girl and one of the teachers and publicly apologize again. It was careless, hasty words. I didn't think. And I think that kind of thing happens a lot when our joking tends to be kind of sarcastic. So that's one contrast. Rash words, careless words versus the tongue of the wise. The second contrast here is sword thrusts versus healing. I'll tell you another story. Uh, again, several years ago, but not nearly as long ago as the first. Uh, we were having a renewal weekend here at URC back in the old building on Hagedorn. And it was Friday night, and I was sitting in the chair, chairs waiting for this event to start. And I, I was just in a really discouraged mode. And I was sitting next to a friend of mine named Phil. And before the thing started, Phil said, Pat, I, I want to tell you something. And I thought, oh no, it's going to be some rebuke or something bad. And Phil started to talk about how he saw the Lord working in my life and how he saw the Holy Spirit working in my life. And it was healing. It was just, it was very brief, but it was just like wind being blown into my sails. And I was able to enter into the, the meeting that night and be blessed. So our words can be sword thrusts that really wound, or they can be healing. Proverbs 16.24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is, we, we see this acted out all the time, don't we? Um, just beautiful, clear, biblically sanctified common sense. We've seen this proverb probably in the last week. So let me give you two scenarios. Here's a work scenario. Your boss comes up to you and says, I told you I wanted those report, that report by 2 o'clock. I need to look over those figures right away. And you have a choice. Harsh word. Hey, the work you've given me is so much, so heavy this week. I've had to work through all my lunch hours. Give me some break. Give me a break. Guaranteed to exacerbate things. Or you could say, sorry it's late. I know this is really important to you. I'll have the report to you in 20 minutes. Soft answer. Or here's a home example. Husband gets out of his car, weaves his way through spikes and scooters in the driveway, almost trips twice. He walks in the door, sees a house with toys, unfolded laundry, and three crazed children. And he walks in and he yells at his wife, Can't you get things in order before I come home? Harsh answer. Hey, 
Do you have any idea what it's like to keep order in this house? Do you have any idea what it's like to take care of your kids? I'll trade places with you anytime, buddy. Guaranteed. More fight. Or, boy, it sounds like you had a stressful day. Why don't you sit out on the porch for a while and I'll bring you some lemonade. Very different responses, very different results. Let's go to Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. This is very much like Proverbs 15, 1. I'm going to read a quote to you. This is by Charles Bridges, who some hundreds of years ago wrote a wonderful commentary on Proverbs. He says, Let me remember that I owe my very salvation to this attribute, slow to anger. And shall I not endeavor to imbue my profession with this lovely adorning and to be a follower of God as his dear child walking in love? Bridges is saying, I owe my very salvation to the fact that God is slow to anger, full of mercy, full of grace. And shall I not honor this God by seeking to have that same demeanor with other people? Proverbs 29, 11. Two more. One more. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You all know that several years ago it was considered sort of common wisdom to vent your emotions. That was seen as very healthy. Just whatever you're feeling, just let it out. Well, nobody believes that today. Every website I visited said venting your anger is bad physically, it's bad for your body, bad psychologically, and bad relationally. Nobody thinks it's a good idea to vent your anger, to give full vent to your spirit. And not surprisingly, these same websites had uh, anger management strategies to offer. So as we finish up our brief look at Proverbs on anger, what's the difference between the biblical approach to anger and the secular approach? How does the world diagnose and cure anger? How does God see it and address it? And to, to give the secular viewpoint, I want to give a, a, a good example, not a bad example, okay? So I'm quoting here from the Mayo Clinic, which deservedly has a wonderful worldwide reputation for doing wonderful work. <clears throat> the Mayo Clinic, their diagnosis is anger is a normal and even healthy emotion but it's important to deal with it in a positive way. So that goes back to what we said. Anger is not good or bad, it's just normal, it's even healthy. And their strategy is various cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. <clears throat> Take a time out. Think before you speak. <clears throat> Use I statements. Identify solution. Use relaxation techniques. Seek help. 
There's nothing wrong with those. Those are common grace things that might help you a bit in the moment. But none of those go deep enough to address where anger comes from, what it's about. We need a divine diagnosis and a divine strategy. In Proverbs 14.29, the writer says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. There's that idea of wisdom again. <clears throat> but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. To exalt connotes pride. Folly connotes wisdom. I'm sorry, folly connotes foolishness. So God's diagnosis is that our anger is an expression often of a proud and foolish heart and it can only be changed by God's grace. Cognitive behavioral therapy, while helpful, cannot cure because it cannot touch the heart. So God's strategy, and here we're going to, we're just going to hot link to the book of James in the New Testament. We are to seek what James calls the meekness of wisdom. So I want to invite you to turn as we close to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. <clears throat> Earlier in the book of James, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That's what we're after, brothers and sisters. That's the cure for unrighteous anger and even the path to righteous anger, the meekness of wisdom. So to summarize, the biblical understanding is that anger, we can say it's normal in the sense that it's part of being created in the image of God. We can even say it's normal in the sense that it's an everyday occurrence, but it's not normal in that it is usually a disordered response to a perceived wrong. So James 4, 1 through 12 gives us God's diagnosis and cure. I'm not going to read the whole thing straight through. I will read different sections a little bit out of order for a reason. So verses 1 and 2 of James 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James says, our anger and conflicts do not come from other people or even circumstances. They come from the fact that we want something and we're not getting it. So let's call those over-desires. They may even be desires for good things, but they're too strong. We want something more, here's the key, than we want to honor Christ and love our neighbor in this situation. We want something more than we want to honor Christ and love our neighbor. Anger always means we've, we've disobeyed the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, but we've already broken the first commandment. We're not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're not satisfied and secure in him. And so we're trying to get something from this other person, and when we don't get it, we fight. So one reason for anger is over-desires. Now skip down to verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 
But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So the second cause of anger, unrighteous anger, after over-desires is we love to play God and judge our neighbors. So over-desires, playing God. How do you know if you're playing God? When you speak evil against your neighbor. You're playing God. Now look at verses 6 through 10. Here's the path to the meekness of wisdom. Notice these first five words. This is, this is our hope. This is the, the life preserver thrown to us as we're drowning. But he gives more grace. More grace than your sin or mine. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. God gives more grace to overcome our unrighteous anger and even to learn righteous anger. And here are four things he says. First of all, you must believe that God's grace is greater than your sin. And greater than whoever you get angry at, their sin. <clears throat> you must believe that as messy and contentious as things get, God's grace is greater. You must believe that or we're just going to just be discouraged and sit down and give up. Secondly, in a contentious situation, when you are angry or tempted to anger, submit yourself to God. He's the one who ordained that situation for your sanctification. So don't resist God. Don't shove him away. Submit to him. Humble yourself before him and his wise and loving will. But do resist the devil. Because the devil's hiding in the shadows, pulling strings and pushing buttons and seeking to stir up anger and contention and division. So submit to God, but resist the devil. And then finally, draw near to God in humble repentance. What does that humble repentance look like? Mourn and weep. Be wretched. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Confess and mourn your unbelief. Confess and mourn your over-desires. Confess and mourn your playing God and your speaking evil. And ask for, even plead for, the meekness of wisdom. I've got more of that to do in my life in the next day. Believe his grace is greater. Submit to him, resist the devil. Draw near to him in humble repentance and ask him for the meekness of wisdom. So let me leave you with two questions. If you don't remember anything else, these questions will be helpful. When you are in a situation and you are starting to get angry 
ask yourself, what do I want right now? What do I want that I'm not getting? What do I want more than I want to make Christ look good right now and sacrificially love this person? What do I want? What do I think I need? What am I craving? Second question. What would the meekness of wisdom look like and sound like right now? Ask God those questions. Lord, show me what I want. Show me what, where, where my heart is defecting to idols. And show me what meekness, the meekness of wisdom would look like right now. And give me the grace and courage to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we often feel anger rising in response to difficult people and difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's righteous, Lord. Often it's very self-centered. Would you help us see the idolatrous cravings and the proud judgings that lurk in our hearts? Would you give us, Lord, humble and repentant hearts? Would you give us the wisdom and grace and courage to honor Christ and love our neighbor and respond redemptively no matter what the cost? even as our glorious Christ paid the ultimate cost to free us from sin and to walk in the meekness of wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.